Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Julie Chavez is the host of Ask a Librarian. She is an upcoming Zibby Books author, and I am so excited to release this episode of her podcast so that all of you can get to know her better. Julie is a curious elementary school librarian and a graduate of the University of Colorado with a degree in Spanish language and literature. She writes a lot for Moms Don't Have Time to Write and also Real Women Write Living on COVID Time. Her forthcoming memoir, The Anxiety Library, will be published by Zibby Books. She currently lives in California with her husband and two tall teenage sons. So please enjoy Julie's episode. Listen to it every week. Subscribe and follow her on Instagram and do all the things because Julie is amazing. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. 
Mac Barnett is a New York Times bestselling author of Stories for Children. His work has been translated into more than 30 languages and sold more than 2 million copies worldwide. Mac's books have won a truckload of prizes, including two Caldecott honors and also three E.B. White Read Aloud awards. Mac lives in Oakland, California. And on a personal note, I think we're going to be best friends. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Mac. Hi, Mac. Thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to talk to you. I am such a Mac Barnett fan. You should know that this morning I said to Nolan, my older son, hey, did I tell you who I'm talking to today? And he said, yeah, you told me five times and I'm still really happy for you. <laughs> and But I've been reading extra yarn to them since they were little and then adding all your other books. But so many of them I love. You do such a good job of writing for children, but not to children. I love it. Thank you. That is a really, that's a really nice compliment that I think that sums up in two prepositions, kind of my whole project. So thanks so much. I love it. Well, good. Cause that's what I see when I read them. I just, and I love reading them aloud to the kids at school. And a lot of times extra yarn will make multiple appearances because I see them from kindergarten to fifth grade and they'll say, well, we already read this. And I said, yeah, and we're reading it again. I think that's one of the cool things about the library is that you do, you get to see these kids through their whole journey through elementary school or middle school or high school, wherever, wherever in, in a school library you're working, you get to see them watch their taste in books change. And then also watch the way that they interact with the same book change as, as they get older. It's, it's such a cool vantage point in a school. It really is. I'm really lucky. And I enjoy exactly what you're saying. It's, and I tell the kids that a lot, right? The book may be the same, but you're different. So that's why adults read picture books, right? So I love it. Okay. So first of all, I wanted to discuss something very ridiculous, but unrelated. What was your first job like as a kid? Oh, so let's see. Like as a kid, like, like, or like like middle school, high school, like what mm -hmm. was your first job? Yeah, I was. So I went and I like to an element when I was in high school in the summer, I did like, I was on like the maintenance crew for an elementary school and it was shut down. So I went and like was repainting classrooms and, and, and oh. like re-landscaping the, the, the playground and stuff. I was terrible at it too. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a terrible painter. So some poor kids came back in after that and they were like, what happened here? Yeah, I can, they, they, I can see drips. <laughs> oh, what are these okay. drips? So you went from sort of mediocre painting and then you don't, you don't, you don't have to yeah, mediocre is that's better. <laughs> than, yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to spare my ego. <laughs> well, I don't even attempt it because yeah. I can't, I'm too much of a perfectionist and I would just end up in a ragey ball. So, Hey, I, I salute you for trying. You know, and honestly, that was probably my problem too. It's just too much of a perfectionist <laughs> and in somewhere that's that's what translated into yeah yep maybe if i just do it quickly then i don't have to notice it yeah i love it okay so painter i love hearing what people did early on and then so from there how did you get into writing children's books well so sort of at the same time when i was in high school the the first volunteer work that that i did there was an elementary school down the hill from my high school and i just went down there to 
work with kids who were struggling with reading to just do like one-on-one reading tutoring. Yes. And I'd grown up, I, I loved picture books so much when I was a kid. And it was, it was like the one thing that, that it was really important to my mom that we have just a lot of books in the house. We didn't have a lot of money. So she would go around to yard sales and buy picture books for me. And so I grew up in the, in the late eighties and early nineties, but I grew up with picture books from the generation before that, or before that, just, just because of how my mom was finding our books. So I grew up with books from sort of the forties to the seventies, which was there's so much, I mean, this, part of that is just this great golden age in American picture book making. And I think those books really informed the, yeah, they just informed my, my, my approach to literature. They're, there's so frog and toad, I think is as wonderful as anything written in the English language. You know, they're, they're just, yeah. I, I really sunk my teeth into these books and my mom never put my picture books away. So when I started reading novels, they just sort of went on the shelf above my picture books. And my picture books were always there. So in middle school, it was really normal for me to to just revisit a picture book that I loved. In high school, when I went down to tutor these kids, I I was like, I'm going to bring my books that I care about. If, If I have something that I'm really into then maybe they'll get into it too, rather than just the materials that we're being assigned that, that uh, frankly, were kind of lackluster. And I think that like, I'm sure the students were picking up on the fact that I was like, this is boring. This yeah. is bad. I'm not having a good time either. <laughs> I'm not Exactly. Both <laughs> of us are sitting there not having a good time. That, and that's not what, what, what reading a book should be. No, it's the opposite of what reading a book should be. So I sort of, I went back to my picture book shelf, pulled those off and, and, as a high schooler, came back in touch with these books. I was like, these are so great. And in college, I worked at a summer camp for kids. And, and that's where I started, started telling my first stories that I was making up to, to kids. And I feel like that's sort of the journey from like reading these things to sharing them with kids to then making up my own stories. But it always came from direct work that I was doing with kids. Do you, so what were some of your other favorites? So Frog and Toad. Love Frog and Toad, the work of Margaret Wise Brown, who's most famous for Goodnight Moon, but wrote so many books, yes. so many strange books. And in fact, Goodnight Moon, I think, is a, is a deeply strange experimental book itself. It's so ubiquitous that I, I think we're, we're sort of inured to its strangeness, but it's, it's weird. It is a weird book. Yes. In the Night Kitchen by Maurice Sendak uh, and just all the Sendak stuff. James Marshall, Donald Cruz, who's very famous for Freight Train, which is, you know, just a, it's a board book about the colors of a train car that, that somehow can like make you cry at the end. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, I need to look that one up. I don't know that one. But oh, yeah, yeah. It's great. I love it. Okay. Those are all, it's true. There's such rich literature and some of those were so experimental. Even when I read Where the Wild Things Are Now, I feel like I get new things from it every time, which is bizarre. It's not a long book. No. But just that same idea, right? I'm different when I go to it. But. It's an incredible book. It it is it is such a again, it's one of these books that we all we've shared and read so many times that you can see it as, and it is a classic, but, but right. the tradition of children's literature, what is traditional children's literature? It's a tradition of experimentation. And that book, starting with a, a kid 
who behaves really badly, right? Yes. And is, is just creating mayhem and then says, I'll eat you up to, to his mom. And he gets sent to his room and the camera stays on him. And, and you know, when you talk about writing two kids or writing four kids, yeah. there are other books that would, that would need to have an intervention with, with Max and we would need to see an apology and he would need to see and explain exactly how he was wrong. Maybe that book doesn't do that. Maybe, in, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he goes on this adventure in some way is processing whatever went on. And we have a story that sits alongside the story of, of what happened in that house. The connection between that adventure and, and what he did earlier is, is, is loose and literary. And you have to, you have to interpret the book to figure out how. When he returns, without apologizing, without saying, I've learned my lesson, there's some supper there waiting for him. His mother's love was constant. He still deserves to be loved, even if he made a mistake, even if he didn't then at the end comb his hair and become a good boy. He's still loved. Yes. And that's, that is a radical position. And I, I think actually feels more radical or just as radical now in 2020 as it did in the 60s. It's it's the Sendak model didn't win the day. It's still a fight to 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 make real literature for kids that way. Yeah, that makes sense. I, you're exactly right. This idea that there are messages, but the experimentation of it that this is a it's almost the books are a conversation, right, with kids and where they are, and so that should be evolving and have some space in it. And so to see that model in those books that were ahead of their time, but we consider them classics. It's, yeah, I love that. Speaking of that, so part of the thing I love about Extra Yarn is when I read it to the kids, I'll read, my favorite part is reading to multiple grades because the kindergartners are so literal and then you have their kind of development. And my favorite is when we revisit a book when they're older and they finally get it or they get a part of it that they didn't see before. So I love the ending of extra yarn. I, I mean, and also I have to say, I think you have a real gift for last lines. The way you finish your books is just perfect. I want to sit with those words. So that's another thing that I think you do really well. Tell me about the story for extra yarn, if you don't mind. Sure. So extra yarn is, uh, it's about a girl who finds a box full of yarn in the snow um, and she lives in in a town that's just sort of every it says everything is either the white of snow or the black of soot from chimneys and, and she finds this box full of yarn and her first impulse is to make herself a sweater she has some extra yarn so she makes a sweater for her dog and she still has extra yarn and she begins to knit sweaters for for people for animals for things and and covers this whole town in yarn and there's sort of a false ending to the book where, where you see the entire town covered in this beautiful yarn and this two-page spread. But the book's not over yet. An archduke arrives out of nowhere, tries to buy the box off of her. She won't sell it. So the archduke steals the box, takes it across the sea, back to his castle, and opens the box, and it's empty. Uh, he's furious, he throws it out the window, and it lands on an iceberg floats all the way back across the sea where Annabelle, the girl who first found it, is just sort of waiting on the seashore. It's sort of as if she knew it was coming on some level. Yes. And it arrives back and she opens it and it's full of yarn. And she 
knits a sweater for a giant tree. And that's the end. <laughs> I So where did that story come from for you? So that story, usually with a picture book, the words come first and then the pictures come second. But that book was illustrated by John Clausen, who's a, a good friend of mine. And we were friends before we started making books together. And so I was actually... We'd already met, hung out. We actually met, and and when we met, we we found out that we both loved Frog and Toad growing up, and that was sort of we spent two hours in the corner of this party just talking about Frog and Toad. And at the end, I was like, I think that I think that uh, I think I just made a friend. I think our best <laughs> friendship has been secure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So I was I was looking on his website, and he had a picture that he'd done in college of a girl and a dog walking through the snow wearing matching sweaters. And it was really funny and charming. And I, was, I dragged it to my desktop to save it, I, where I just sort of save images sure. that I come across that I like. And the file name was extrayarn.jpg. I was like, oh, that's really funny. She had some extra yarn, so she knit a sweater for her dog. And that's basically a line in the book, that, that thing that occurred to me where I was just basically getting the joke that John was setting up. But it, I mean, that's the magic of a picture book right there, right? Is that it's an image and text laid together. And when you put them together, the story grows or there's a little joke or a connection. And even just like a digital file with a file name can get that magic of text and image that a picture book has. And so that sort of sent me off. And I I was like, I'm going to write, I'm going to write this story out. And I, I wrote the first draft of the story and then had this panic, like, oh, wait, like, Maybe John's already written a story for this. Maybe he won't <laughs> like my story. So I, I sent him a sort of a sheepish email. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, hey, I don't know if you've written a story for this. Uh, if you have, great. Sorry. I, this would be such a weird email. But like, uh, also, if you haven't, here's a story. And if you don't like it, that's fine. And and don't worry. And this will also be a weird email. Right. And, and luckily he and liked And can it. we still be friends? And can we still be friends? Yeah. Totally. It was early yeah. in the friendship. Totally. Yeah. So that's one that's... of those things. We... <laughs> We're still okay, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And luckily he did like it. And, and we made we made that book. I think it's really, it's like, in terms of the influences, it's influenced by some of those picture books that, that I mentioned, especially I think Tommy Unger. I don't know if you know his books at all. He did Three Robbers as one of them. It, I'll have Don't to look it up. Check it out. And and uh, folk tales, fairy tales. In some ways, John and I both talk about that book. It felt like we sort of remembered it into being both the words and the pictures rather than actually made it ourselves. We like in a way that's different from any other book I've made. And I think, you know, John and I talk about this. I think he feels the same way. We look at that thing and we're like, this is this feels like this feels like it already existed. And then we just sort of brought it right you are a conduit conduit yeah totally through you i what a gift to feel that way right and to see sort of the the fruits of it but have that i don't know it's attachment and detachment that feels i think really neat to see right because you're part of the creation of it but i can see that it does have that feel of have i read this story somewhere before but it's so beautifully told. And I love the details, like the fact that but is, uh, the word but is on the iceberg in that uh, yeah. penultimate illustration, I think, or just before that. Those are, those touches are amazing. And I love, I mean, John Clausen is also on my list of people love his books. And I also love seeing how many people you've been able to partner with. Do yeah. you enjoy working with 
I mean, I would think so, right? You're working with- I love it. I've gotten to work with some great illustrators and as somebody who writes but doesn't draw, uh, still my favorite form is the picture book. And and so that means I'm always going to have a collaborator very early in the process. But it's very freeing as as a writer. I think that if you're writing a picture book, it allows you to to write about things that, that words can't describe. And- even though I've always loved language, loved books, I'm also really interested in the limits of language and, and yes. picture books, I think, just acknowledge that right off the bat. There, there are limits to what language can do, but if you add images in there, you can get to a new place. And I think that that's really, I think that's really exciting. I mean, any piece of art you let go of and it doesn't become what it is until it reaches its audience. Yes. With a picture book, you let go very early and, and it's not even close to what it is when I'm done. It's a bunch of words on a page and, and the words shouldn't even make sense without pictures. There should be big holes in the story. If you just read a picture book text out loud, it should feel kind of lackluster and even confusing because the pictures should be doing at least half of the work. And then an illustrator comes in and adds these pictures. It's still not done because we picture books are read to kids usually, right. not by kids. And so there's an adult often, or at least a literate human, uh, maybe an older sibling. <laughs> but, you know, usually an adult is there reading this picture book out loud, choosing whether to use voices for the characters, maybe adding in jokes or taking out sentences that I spent weeks writing, putting page turns where the illustrator did not put page turns uh, all that stuff is totally valid, right? A, a good reader knows their audience and knows their audience that day and knows like, okay, we're going we're gonna to read this story a little quieter today because we need to bring the mood down. Or like, we can really go for it today. Today is going to be that perfect, like, it's going to be like big wave surfing. It's going to be raucous, but they're going to be ready. And we're just going to, it's going to be, we're going to really, we're going to let loose on this book and just so sensitive to the audience they're reading to. Yes. And so every picture book is really made in that moment. Every picture book is a performance. Every reading is a new artwork because the adult reading this book out loud, the teacher, the librarian, the caregiver, the babysitter, they are they're artists who are making this happen. And then finally you reach that kid. And, and if everything has gone well, there should still be spaces for that kid to fill in, to, to figure out what it means to bring their experience, their intelligence to the artwork and to make meaning from it. And, and that chain of collaborators that starts with a writer, moves through pictures, through a reader, to a kid, it's so exciting and, and energy is created each time somebody comes in and, and reinterprets the work. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I love how you put that. That made me a little teary. I just, I, but I feel that so deeply and you're so right. What a beautiful thing for children to see and be part of. And for adults, I mean, that's my favorite part of the gig is reading to them and sharing those stories. And you're exactly right. Leaving space then for them to enter in. I love what you said at the very beginning about there. It should have a lot of holes without the illustrations because as someone who lives to overexplain things, just ask my editor, that is a good note because I was thinking about children's writing and I never considered that a picture book, you're right, it's incomplete without the other half. The first manuscript I wrote for a picture book, which uh, was for my first picture book, Billy Twitter's in his Blue Whale Problem, I sent it to an author who sort of inspired me to start writing picture books for kids, John Sheska, who wrote The Stinky Cheese Man. I read that book. I was like, this is so smart, so funny, so experimental. I want to write for kids. This is the best stuff. Okay. Um, And he's the one you wrote Battle Bunny with. I wrote Battle Bunny with John. Yeah. Which, oh my gosh, I love so much. Okay, continue. So I sent him, I sent him the manuscript and he's like, this is great. This is really funny. But like, go through and cross out just as a first step, anytime you're describing what something looks like. And he just did it as an example. And he was like, some of the stuff is really funny. Some of it is beautiful description. None of it belongs in a picture book. You're going to have pictures doing this. And he did it for a few pages and just kind of crossed out the stuff that the pictures would make redundant. And that unlocked so much for me about how you approach this thing. Because it's, you know, once you take out those redundancies, then you also start thinking about how do I construct something where... (laughs) It's not just removing redundancies, but it's actually the words are going to amplify because of the the kind of peculiar relationship they have to an image on that page. How can we how can we design the entire thing to be to be a dance between words and images? Oh, I love that. That is such a good description. You're exactly right. This book, speaking of which, how this book was made, I feel like you described it so perfectly when you're talking about the collaborators and Again, books that just make me want to cry with their last lines. I loved this one from the first time I read it because it is so, it honors the reader. And I love that idea because you're exactly right. It's it's not really a book until someone reads it. Yeah, I think, and I think that's just right. When I, when I hear artists talking about like making art for themselves and not caring about the audience, I mean... I think that that can be a way of getting at something. I think it also can also just be a pose that sounds really cool. Yes. I'm too, I'm too evolved to even care about that sort of yeah. thing. Yes. Okay. Got it. But I don't feel that way about art generally. You're always making it to communicate something. You're trying to communicate something. Yes. Authentic and particular about yourself. Something you truly believe in. Something that you sincerely feel. Yes. But it's finding somebody else who sincerely believes or feels that thing too, that's, that's what we're all searching for. That's we're putting out messages and we're receiving messages. And it's that conversation, that interaction that makes an artwork powerful. And in kids books, if you're just writing for yourself, you know, I'm a, I'm a 39 year old 
adult. Like that's not my audience. I have to, I have to write for particularly kids have a different experience of the world and you're communicating across a gulf and you have to know, like I'm, I'm making, I'm making a piece of art for somebody who's having a very different emotional and even physical experience of the world. Somebody for whom the world I inhabit, it's truly like literally not built for them. Right. My chair is too big for them. My, like it's, how how do I communicate something that that I believe, but I know that they can relate to as well? I love that. I also, and I think I'm loving hearing you talk about it because your heart and the way that you approach the work completely comes through in this, in all of your books, when I read them, and they're all so different. I loved What is Love? I have that here just because at the end, I just was like, is there anything truer? I'm just going to sit here. And I still read to my boys. So of course I made them come over, which they enjoy because that's what teenagers love. In how this book was made, I also loved the picture behind the scenes of the details of how books actually happen, right? Because the editing, the back and forth, the printing, the I loved it. The I thought the global, that's our global supply chain book. We just, you know, we just, unfortunately we came out, we came out like three years before that global supply chain moment was on everybody's mind. It's It's just really true ahead of its time. time. I I mean, I'm so glad that I can be highlighting it and (laughs) it's sort of a prophetic work that you made. And then that way we can release it into the world. Well, I have one more question for you. And that is what is something that you're not good at? that you wish you were good at? Oh, wow. There's so much. I feel like I'm actually like, I, I'm, I'm only good at a few things and, and I have trouble when, when I'm not good at something like really sticking with it. Cause I, I get, I get so frustrated with myself. I, obviously we've talked about painting at the beginning, but right, I, I, okay. I wouldn't, I don't care if I'm good right. at painting or not. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's just, it's not going to spark joy. Exactly. <laughs> I wish I was good at woodworking. I, I've always like, I've always loved wood carvings. And I think carving something out of wood is so cool or building something out of wood, building furniture, building a cabinet. I read about woodworking a lot. I refinished a dresser for, for my baby son. And it was such a fun project. It was such a basic project, but like, I was like, this is so fun. Not just, just making it all look nice, but actually like sort of fixing the the drawers a little bit just in the ah. the lightest way and then you mentioned what is love the illustrator of that book Carson Ellis she is somebody who I think also she's she's long been like I'd love to get into woodworking and we were kind of talking about this at the same time she immediately started like carving beautiful like she carved a thumb like a giant thumb that's like the size of of her forearm that's just like a realistic thumb that is just the most beautiful absurd thing you've seen i feel like it was like week three she's she like just hammered that out she's building furniture she's she's made like five tables she and and i i i know that she started at the same time i did so it is, it's like, I'm not good at this. And I wish that I was, I can see, it's not like, well, if you just give it time, it's like, well, look, look what Carson is up to. She's 
doing she started on the same day <laughs> that's amazing and those are those sort of friendship moments right where you're like gosh I, i'm really glad i like you because if i didn't i would really feel bitter about this yes <laughs> because here i am with my i'm sanding the piece of my drawer feeling that's... really good about it and you're whittling it's not fair it's not fair. It was, and I, this is, uh, I wish, you know, this is a podcast so you can't see, but the sort of the, the, your sanding motion, which was so sort of, I mean, really, I mean, you could risk diminishing the work that I was doing, but actually looked exactly like what I was doing. It was, that was just sort like, of detail work. Yeah. I mean, oh. no, not even detail. It was like, just like, just like, I'm just so proud of myself for, for badly sanding something is exactly, uh, that's what it was. <laughs> With a tiny square of sandpaper, right? Yeah. That was just like, the, and, and also like the, the grit had already rubbed off, but I didn't buy enough sandpaper. So really I'm just like rubbing copy paper right over a dresser and saying like, good job, Mac today. Today was a great day. You better buy like a, a an expensive leather tool belt. <laughs> keep you your to keep your sandpaper nubs. Perfect. You can tuck it right in there, and then you walk through the house with it on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Go to go walk the block. <laughs> wave to the neighbors. <laughs> Tell everyone what you're doing today, That's which right. is sanding. Yep. I'm busy sanding. Sanding. Oh. Today's sanding day. Today's sanding day. It's really going to be, uh, it's going to be tough on the biceps, but I think we can get it done. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love it. Well, I think that you can safely stay in your lane. You have one book coming out soon. John's turn. John's turn. That's right. When does that come out? That comes out in March, uh, early March. And that is, yeah, that, that one I'm, I'm very excited about. It is set in an elementary school and sort of just about a beautiful performance that happens in an elementary school. But I, I've spent so much time in elementary schools, I guess, starting in attending one and then, <laughs> yes, and then yes, volunteering in them and working in them. And I, they're just such fun, weird, specific places. And, and so I'm, I'm excited for, for that oh, one to come out. I cannot wait. And hopefully we can chat about it again when it comes out. I'm so I would love that. Excited. I would love that too. Well, thanks so much for being with me today. And this was a pleasure. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. Oh, for me too. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.